beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What's destroying people's lives today is that they're depending on human wisdom. There are two answers to every question. God's answer and everybody else's. And everybody else is wrong. You see, sometimes we look for glory based on our time. When God wants us to serve based on his time. Sometimes when Jesus tells us to do something, it won't make sense. It makes sense because of who it came from. Not necessarily because you understand it. Many people say, well, I believe in God while they reject Jesus. Can't happen. Because the Father and Son are intimately and intricately tied to one another. God has a standard and it's non-negotiable. And you can't earn it yourself. You have to place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. Freedom can be seen in the good news of the gospel. God wants people to be free for heaven, but he also wants them to be delivered from illegitimate bondage on earth. Jesus Christ is in a class by himself. You don't give him excuses. You give him all you got because he's the only one in the universe worthy of all you have. Wow, what wonderful keiki. I'd like to uh, quote one of the, the leading theologians of our generation, a gentleman by the name of Jason Cosma. <laughs> Jason said, uh, we at New Hope Kailua have the best-looking keiki, don't we? And he said it's because the parents are so good-looking. I'd like to say it's actually the grandparents are so the good-looking ones. But anyway, so special to have our children celebrate and worship this morning. Well, I can remember that experience. I don't know if you can identify. There's some things in your life where uh, you uh, have a vivid memory. You can look back and you can remember the room you were in. You can remember where you were sitting where something really dramatic happened. One of those for me happened <laughs> almost 40 years ago, back in the Jurassic age when I was at graduate school. But I can literally, I can see it as if it happened yesterday. I can see the desk I was sitting at. I can see this, the, the classroom I was in. And uh, here was the shocking thing that happened. Fellow, it was actually a Hebrews class. It was first year Hebrew. And um, a classmate came in and he said, Rick, did you hear what happened? I said, what happened? He said, Gordon McDonald, um, it's just become public that Gordon McDonald had an affair with his secretary. It was like, that, that may, name may not mean anything to you. Gordon McDonald um, was a leading Christian, a major Christian leader on the mainland, had pastored a well-known, very successful church, and had gone on to be the, the president of a major uh, Christian organization across the United States, the um, the uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Not only that, Gordon McDonald had come to our campus just six weeks before that news was shared with me, and he had preached all week in chapel. Now, you have to be a, a leading, uh, renowned kind of Christian leader to be invited to a major seminary to do a week-long series of, of, uh, of, of messages at chapel. And that's exactly... And I, what, what, what was such a shock to me was when, when uh, Pastor McDonald preached that week... Every day I went home and I was prostrate on my face before the Lord because the Lord was speaking to me through, I could uh, almost remember today, 
the messages he had from Isaiah chapter 6 and um, the, how he ministered the word of God to me. I, I went home and I was just flat on my face before the Lord. He had a powerful impact on my life. So you can imagine the shock when six weeks later it was announced it had become public that this major Christian leader had had a, an affair, an adulterous affair with his secretary. Well, uh, Gordon McDonald's uh, experience, um, to say the least, is an example of failure, moral failure of a Christian leader. But when you think about it and, and uh, when we look at the uh, scriptures, we, we recognize that, and this obviously is not justifying, it's just an observation, God has a lot of experience working with failures. You look throughout the scriptures, so many of the major leaders experience major moments of failure in their life. Abraham, the father of our faith, the friend of God. You read his life story twice. He actually lied, broke one of God's Ten Commandments just to protect himself because of the beauty of his wife. Lied about the identity of his wife just to protect himself. Moses, the major leader that God called to lead his people out of, his, out of Egypt, out of Egyptian bondage, had murder on his resume. He actually took the life of a man. David, well, his story is well known, right? Israel's greatest king, a man after God's own heart. But he had a couple of significant moments of failure. Adultery, murder, those are, those are not light things. Paul, God's champion of the gospel in the New Testament. But part of what was on his resume was he stood there as an accessory to murder when they murdered an innocent man, Stephen. He, he stood there and participated with it. So, yes, God has a lot of experience working with failures. And um, let me ask you, uh, have you ever failed in your life? Hopefully not with, you know, one of... murder, adultery, those kinds of things, but I wonder if there's something in your life where you look back and, and wish you had a do-over, where you really feel like you failed, maybe in a relationship, maybe in a marriage, maybe in a friendship, where you really lost a friendship and, and you failed in that. Maybe it was parenting. Maybe you look back and say, wow, I really messed up. Maybe it was a financial decision. You just made a really bad financial decision. And uh, you look back and say, boy, did I mess up on that one. Or um, maybe, maybe it was you had a golden opportunity to be a, a witness for Christ in your actions, in your words, to invite somebody, to have an influence, to tell your story. You, had a, you just sense this was a great opportunity to, to, to be or represent Jesus to someone, and you just shrunk back. Frankly, you chickened out. You feared maybe that person will reject me. I want them to like me, and you didn't take advantage of, of a golden opportunity just to be there to represent your Savior, your Lord. So the countless ways in which we fail, as I thought about it this last week, the one that was like, okay, Rick, you're going to talk to other people about their failures. What about yours? And I, I thought of one uh, significant one to me in, in the very first church I pastored. Um, and what happened was it was a church that needed to change. It was a traditional church, and there were some things that needed to change. And I came in. It was my first full-time pastoral experience, and I saw the need for change. And change for what? Change like having a worship team. 
with women on it, <laughs> and not just men, and, and guitars and drums, because the church background, it was a very traditional church, and those folks uh, who loved the Lord, but they'd been kind of raised with the idea that if you had drums and guitars, those were instruments of the devil. That was nightclub stuff and immorality, so no, you don't bring uh, electric guitars. That's, that was their background. And I saw, thought, you know, we, we need to have men and women and instruments um, and it wasn't just that. It was like small groups. Uh, we can meet in homes. with That was a total. So new pastor came in, all these ideas, good things, I believe. I would still stand for those things. But here was my failure. Here was my failure. I failed to love the people who were traditional in the church. I'll just use the, the, the people. They were in the church because they liked it that way. And I was bringing all sorts of changes, and other people were drawn to that, and the church was growing, and we put up a building, and I was... It wasn't like I intentionally neglected that group of people that liked the church the way it was. I didn't make a decision, I'm going to ignore them or neglect them. I just was so gung-ho with the other people, I wasn't sensitive to them. I failed to love them. So here's what happened. It made a real mess because uh, there's a saying that when conflict goes underground it poisons the water <laughs> so what happened in that church as it was growing and we were doing new things and 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 and, and i was blessed by that and that all of this good stuff was happening we came back literally martha and i came back from a vacation after our fourth year pastoring that church and discovered by accident someone accidentally spilled the beans that a group of those people that didn't like the changes in the church we're having private meetings. Now, this is not the way to handle things. They have private meetings, and there was a petition being um, assembled uh, for people uh, wanting to sign for Pastor Rick's resignation. <laughs> Imagine that. You know, you're the pastor. You come back, and there's this uh, list being um, made of people that want to fire you. And then it was like, oh, God, all I did was love, you know, serve you and, and poor old me, and now they want to fire me. And, and it... it it led to a very difficult time in the church. My failure was not to love people, not to love and, and even be sensitive and caring towards those who had different views than I did, even to be in touch with them. And uh, that was a real failure, and it led to a lot of pain uh, in that church. Well, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever failed. No, I'm not <laughs> going to. But uh, if you don't raise your hand, at least in your heart, then I know that you've just committed a failure of lying because <laughs> failure is one form of sin. And the scriptures are clear. We've all sinned in one way or another. And I don't know if even if I've broached it this morning, whether there's some sense of, of failure. Some of you are maybe too young to have experienced a major one. Um, but life consists for all of us in our fallen humanity of experiencing some level of failure. So I hope you'll identify that this morning. If you can, if you can identify and think of, of something in your life that you regret, if you had a do-over, if you had a chance to do it again, um, because you failed in, in whatever you did, in your actions, in your attitudes, in, in whatever. I have good news for you this morning. That's <laughs> wonderful always to come to you. There's good news. There is hope for failures. There's hope for people like you and me that mess up in life, that make some bad decisions. There is hope because we can have a friend named Peter. <laughs> I want to introduce you to a friend this morning named Peter. Peter's story is that there is hope for failures. And um, 
Yes, we celebrate Palm Sunday and the crowds welcoming Jesus and, and celebration. But you know, that was Sunday. By Friday night, you know what's happened is those same crowds that welcome Jesus, Hosanna, are shouting crucify him. And the disciples who came riding in in triumph with him, they're abandoning him. Within five days. And yes, Peter, Jesus' best friend, his right-hand guy, you know Peter's failure. He's denying Jesus. He's denying even knowing Jesus. But there is hope for failures. And so what I wanted to do this morning is to look at three reasons why people like you and I in our failure can have hope. We want to school from Peter and see there is good reason why there's hope for us in our failures. So let's read together in, um, it'll come up on your screen, John 13. Jesus actually predicts, you know this, he announces Peter's failures ahead of time. He sees it coming, and that's no surprise. Jesus knew exactly what was going down. But we read in John chapter 13, this is the start of it, of Peter's failure. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. He's facing the cross, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. He's facing the cross, and he's talking about glorifying God the Father. This is the context in which Jesus fail, in which Peter fails. Jesus is announcing, and he's about to glorify God with the greatest, what does it mean, glorify God? He's, he's going to show the world the greatest revelation of who God is. The greatest revelation of God is his self-giving love. And Christ is going to go to the cross and demonstrate. He's going to reveal to all of humanity, to all of history, how much God loves people. He's going to glorify the Father, and he's going to glorify himself. And in that context, Peter fails. And it's not only that, Jesus is, is going to bring great glory to the Father, the greatest revelation of who God is. But he also says, take this love this incredible love that you're going to see, and live it out among yourselves. That's amazing, too, because he says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. I'm the standard of love, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you love one another. You see the context? He's glorifying God with the fullness of God's love, the richness of God's love, the perfection of God's love. And he says, now you go out there and love each other with this kind of love. And in that context, Peter's going to fall. He's going to do a spiritual face plant. <laughs> He's going to fall flat on his face. And Jesus predicts it. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? And take a look at what Peter says. I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. He predicts, he announces it. He warns Peter ahead of time. And um, we need to learn, here's the first reason why you and I can have hope in our failure that we learned from Peter. Here's the first reason. My failure is not uh, inevitable. My, fa my failure is not inevitable. 
Jesus warns Peter of it. And if you look carefully at the events surrounding this, Peter, Peter had a decision to make. It wasn't predestined, predetermined he was going to fail. Jesus warns him, but we see a couple of red flags. Peter's going to make his decision. And when crunch time comes and the game's on the line and he has a chance to shine for Jesus, he shoots an air ball. That's for those of you that are watching the Final Four these days. <laughs> Peter shoots an air ball at crunch time. That's exactly what happens, spiritually speaking. But it's, it didn't have to happen. Peter had choices to make, and one of the things we're doing this morning is we're learning from Peter's mistakes. We can do that. We can learn from the mistakes of others. It's not inevitable that we have to make those errors, those failures ourselves. The scriptures are filled with examples of people who fail, and part of that is, Rick, don't do the same thing. You're gonna, don't mess up the way that 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 person did. You also know, and I, I can think of some in my own life, of, of people in, that I've known who've made some really bad decisions. We need to learn from them. Don't do what they did. And I, I thought of uh, this last week when I was that, in that first pastor. There's a family in our church had a, a, a teenage daughter who was making some bad decisions. The father was really strict, really rigid with her. And I was just watching. I, I had little boys at the time. But when I saw that level of strictness and rigidity, and she just bounced off of that into final rebellion, I thought, you know, I need to learn that's not what if, if my kids uh, rebel to a certain extent, don't, don't respond the way that that man did with sort of strict authoritarianism. Um, so we can learn from the scriptures. We can learn from Peter. We can learn from other people that our failures are not inevitable. They don't have to happen. Now, we can see two red flags in Peter's life that are setting him up for failure that we need to learn from, okay? The first one is pride. The first one is pride. The scriptures say throughout the script, pride goes before the fall, right? Peter says to Jesus, you know, uh, I will lay down my life for you. He's filled with overconfidence. He's filled with himself. If you read Mark's gospel, he actually compares himself. Though everybody else digs out, not me, I'm the man, I'm committed. And anytime you start comparing yourself to other people, there's probably a good chance your pride is involved. Peter is overconfident. He's not humble about his own capacity to fail. That's maybe the starting point to failure. Paul says it this way. He says, let him who thinks he stands... Take heed, lest what? Lest he fall. That if you don't think you can fail in your marriage, or if you don't think you can fail as a pastor, or you don't think you can fail when you're tempted by money, or you don't think you can fail in raising your children, then you need to be humble and realize all of us need to be wary. And so one of the ways to protect ourselves from failure, it's not inevitable, but to walk in humility to walk in humility, to have a humble sense of who we are and our desperate need for God. And, and that will be one key thing to protect us. Our failures are not inevitable. There's a second red flag for Peter, and this, it's this, prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. Um, I'm not going to take the time to read it, but uh, if you've got the notes, what a great reason to have the app, by the way. You can get the notes. But in Mark's account, and, and you've probably read the story, um, Jesus goes out on that night and he calls Peter and James and John to come and pray with him. Just pray one hour. And he comes back not once, not twice, not three times, and Peter is snoozing. Peter, at crunch time, Peter is, when Jesus is about to be arrested, about to go on trial, about to be crucified, 
When it's crunch time, when Peter should be praying, he's snoozing. And that sense of prayerlessness, if he would have been praying, because what does prayer do? Prayer draws you close to God. And if he would have been praying, it would have protected him from making some very bad decisions. So we need to learn from those red flags. We need to walk in humility. We need to be devoted to prayer. And again, the scriptures are there. That's one of the great hopes for people like you and I that are capable of failure. Our failure is not inevitable. It's not inevitable. We can be protected from that. We'll be protected when we walk in humility, when we walk in prayer, when we are devoted to prayer. There's a second uh, thing that we learned from Peter about um, why we can have hope. Why we can have hope in our failures. And that's this. Our failures are not final. They're not inevitable, and they're not final. Now, sometimes uh, we get fooled into thinking that, oh, I've blown it so badly, God could never use me. I've um, made such a mess of things that, you know, there's no future for me with God. I'm, I'm out of the game. I'm disqualified. And uh, can I just assure you that God, that your failures are never final. He's the God of all grace. And we see this with Peter because Peter, yes, uh, three times he's going to deny. And I, I should read that uh, part of the passage because Jesus predicts it and then it actually happens in... Um, all of the Gospels record it, but let me just read you John's version. Then the detachment, this is John chapter 18. The detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him, brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple, most likely John, were following Jesus. Because of this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's yard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl, servant girl, on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples, too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. He disowns Jesus. He denies even knowing Jesus. It was cold and the servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Meanwhile, Simon Peter, who was still standing there warming himself, so they asked him, You are one of his disciples too, are you a second time? He denied it. I am not. Second time he disowns Jesus. And you know it's the third time. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man who had, whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. Jesus had announced it, predicted it, saw it coming ahead of time. Peter, unfortunately, made the decisions that showed that that was the truth. I want to show you a couple pictures if... Um, if uh, we can just draw it up there. If you go to modern-day Jerusalem, they have built a church, the Church of St. Peter in Galicantu. That's a picture of the church on, on one side. Um, t 
to, to commemorate that place where Peter failed. How do you like to have a church built over your failure? That's basically what it is. But the statue is remarkable. The, uh, the statue in the courtyard has a statue of, of a Roman soldier and the servant girl and Peter. And um, uh, what's up on top of the pillar? That's because the Filipino church meets it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's to commemorate that. It's to commemorate that denial of Jesus, right? Three times before the rooster crowed. And the rooster is right there to announce the world Peter's failure. Now, um, what's the second thing that we need to learn that gives us hope? Um, it's the fact that um, our failure is not final. Peter failed. He, um, he should have been walking in prayerfulness. He should have been walking in humility. He wasn't. He was filled with himself and um, his overconfidence, his pride. And yes, he denied Jesus three times. But it wasn't over. The game wasn't over. Jesus went to the cross died on the cross for the sins of the world, including Peter's failure, rose from the dead, and we read in John chapter 21, this is a beautiful thing, Peter's fa failure is not final. Jesus restores Peter after his failure. And so your failure and my failure is never final because of the love and the power of Jesus Christ in our lives and his resurrection from the dead. So we read it about it in John chapter 21, that... Um, that, that uh, Jesus appears to Peter and restores him. And this is a chapter that's filled with lessons about failure. So let me just point a couple of them out as we go quickly. But the first thing is, when we fail, we have to have our vision renewed. Okay, we jump, jump into John cha chapter 21. Peter has failed. He's felt guilt. He's felt shame. But he goes back to his old ways. Now, his gifts haven't gone away. His gifts have not been removed. He's still a leader, we'll see. But he goes back to his old life, and Jesus does a miracle to restore him. This is fascinating. Remember when, when uh, he called Peter and the disciples? He did a miracle of the abundance of fish and um, called them to follow him. Now he's restoring Peter, and he does another miracle with abundance of fish. One at the beginning, one when Peter needed to be restored. And Peter needed to have his vision because, re renewed because the whole point was he was called not to be a fisher of fish, but to be a fisher of Absolutely. And Jesus had to restore that vision because Peter went back to his old ways. Look at this. He says, afterwards, Jesus, this is John chapter 1, 21. Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples were together. What does Peter say? Peter acts like a leader. He's decisive. He makes a decision. I'm going out to fish, but that was his old life. Now, nothing wrong with going fishing, but there's more going on here. He's just sort of slipping back into his modus operandi. But he's a leader, and the others say, hey, Peter's going fishing. Let's go with him. That's what people do. They follow leaders. Peter's gifts didn't go away in his failure, but he needed to have his vision renewed, and Jesus does that. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your, fish on, your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. 
There's the miracle, Jesus. He's renewing. Remember when I called you to be my disciple? Remember when I called you to be a fisher of men? Here, I'm going to do another just to remind you of what I'm calling you to. And it's not to be a fisher of fish. It's to be a fisher of men. And I don't know if you identify that, but, but very often when we fail, we need our vision renewed. What is it that God has called me to do? We get discouraged. We get deflated. And we need a new vision of what God has called us to, what he wants to do in our lives. There's a second thing here. I must rush to my forgiving Jesus. We need to have our vision renewed of his calling in our lives. We need to rush to our forgiving Lord. Do you realize the depths of Jesus' love and grace and forgiveness? Peter had an inclination towards that because look at what happened. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that John says to Peter, it's the Lord who's standing on the beach. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say this, it's the Lord, what did he do? He wrapped his outer garment around him. He'd been fishing in his board shorts. So he puts his clothes on, and he, and he jumps into the water. And he jumped into the water. The, he, he's rushing to be the first to Jesus, to get to Jesus ahead of the boat. That's amazing for a person. What do you and I do when we fail? We tend to retract. We tend to withdraw. We tend, tend to feel shame and guilt and don't want to be around other people and, and certainly don't want to rush to Jesus. Peter says, no, in your failure, rush headlong to Jesus. And uh, he knew Jesus was going to receive him, forgive him, restore him, because he knew the heart of Jesus. And that's a crucial thing for failures like us. In your failure, don't retreat, don't disengage, rush to Jesus, and you will find grace and love and forgiveness and restoration. That's exactly what happens with Peter. And... Um, so Peter jumps out of the boat. He gets to Jesus first. He knew the gracious, forgiving love. When we're failed, when we tend to, to withdraw, rush towards Jesus. Engage his love, his grace. I must rush to my forgiving Lord. There's a third thing that we can learn from Peter, and it's this. I must renew my fellowship with Jesus, my relationship with Jesus. That's part of this. This is, a, to me, an amazing text because we read that Jesus reaches out and catch this, he seeks fellowship with failures. <laughs> Jesus, in his loving mercy and grace, seeks fellow, he takes the initiative. Look at verse 10. Jesus said to them, to the disciples, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. <laughs> Jesus said, okay, let the minnows Get away for the next miracle. I don't know. Just the large fish, and he even names them, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and He's inviting the disciples to a meal of fellowship. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came. He took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples. What's going on? What does Jesus do with failures? He invites them to breakfast. <laughs> he invites them to breakfast. Now, if it was New Hope, he says, come and eat breakfast. Smell the aroma of the roasting fish. If it was New Hope Kailua, it would be, smell the aroma of the, the steak and eggs at the men's breakfast. And I got to say, uh, women, we always commend you, and we should, rightfully so, for all the women's events. But at the men's event... We had steak and eggs. <laughs> we had steak and eggs. Jesus would say, come smell breakfast, break bread with me, let's eat together. This is a fellowship meal. That's amazing. 
Jesus is, when we tend to feel like we're a failure and want to re, uh, retreat and disengage, Jesus is saying, engage that relationship with me. Come and have fellowship. Let's have a meal together. Let's celebrate together even. And yes, he's going to restore Peter. He's not going to disregard the issue. He's not going to ignore it. And that's the, uh, the other lesson. I must renew my fellowship with Jesus. I must respond to his desire to have fellowship with a failure. Don't let you hold that back. Finally, in, in this section, I must be restored to my ministry. And yes, Jesus goes ahead and addresses the issue in love to restore. And if you look carefully, he not only restores Peter to his relationship with Jesus, he restores Peter to his ministry. Let's look what happens. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Even though I failed you, you know my heart of love for you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Feed his flock. Second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Care for my sheep. Love my people. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt this time because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Take care of my people. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, when, went where you uh, wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He's talking about the way that Peter would, be, would give his life, be crucified upside down. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. <laughs> follow me. He, he said that at the very beginning. Engage your relationship with me. It's a personal relationship. It's not a religion. It's not a set of ethical things. It's, it's a follow me. At the heart of it is a relationship. He's restoring Peter to his relationship. He's restoring him to his ministry. Feed my people. Love my people. Now, why three times? Well, obviously, Peter had denied three times. And yes, Jesus was saying, this was no light matter, Peter. <laughs> he's speaking the truth in love. He's reminding him three times he had messed up. But with that accountability and, and with that showing Peter and the disciples how serious that issue was, three times he forgives him too. Three times he says to Peter, yes, what you did was serious, but yes, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I'm restoring you, I'm restoring you. So it's both uh, affirming for Peter the significance of, of his actions, but it's also affirming for Peter the depth of forgiveness, the depth of his love. And yes, it's affirming for the disciples that Peter is qualified to lead because, you know, 50 days from this event, day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit's being poured out, and uh, disciples might have had a discussion, okay, who's going to preach the first sermon for the church? Peter, you blew it. You're disqualified. You're off the team, buddy. No, they were all there, and they saw three times Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And so who preaches on the day of Pentecost? Peter. <laughs> He's restored to ministry. The others recognize his leadership given by Jesus. 3,000 people get saved after that first sermon. And so, yes, all of this is going on, but don't miss the point. There's hope for us. Our failures are not final. Peter failed Jesus. He went on to do phenomenal things for Jesus and the kingdom of God. And that's a beautiful thing. I told you about Gordon MacDonald. Um, 
when his affair became public and uh, he, he took the right response as a man of God, he humbled himself, he uh, sought healing in his marriage, he got counsel, he withdrew from ministry while he healed his life and his relationship, and, and he was restored beautifully. Later, years later, the very church he had first pastored called him back because he went through it right. He went with humility and repentance, and, and Jesus restored him, and people around him were involved with that. He submitted to them, and he was restored to ministry. He's one of the success stories of that happening because that's what Jesus does with failures. He restores them in all of these different ways. The third thing that uh, we can be encouraged about when we come to being failures is our failures are not inevitable. Our failures are not final. And then one final thing before we close this morning, and that's this, that our failures can be the foundation for a powerful ministry. Our failures can be the foundation for a powerful ministry because Jesus is the God of all grace. And so we see this with Peter. Um, Peter uh, goes on uh, after his failure, after being restored, um, and out of that ministry, God builds a richness, builds a depth, builds a powerful impact about others. We see it in his writing. In 1 Peter, he writes this, Peter, the man who had failed with, with pride, what does he say to people like you and me out of his own failure? He says, all of you, including you at New Hope Kailua, clothe yourselves with humility. Don't be so filled with yourself that you think you cannot fail. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another because what? God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that, may, that he may lift you up in due time. Peter had learned out of his failure was ministering to others that humility that we need to learn from. Peter, the man who had uh, failed in prayerlessness, who was snoozing on the job at crunch time, what does he say to people like us? 1 Peter 4, 7. Out of his failure, he says, be alert and sober-minded, not like I was in the garden. Be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray because prayer will keep you close to the heart of God and he's your strength. And he will give you power over failure. It's not inevitable that you fail. If you walk in humility, if you walk in prayer, God will give you victory. And you won't have to go through the pain and the suffering in your life and bring into others' lives that comes with, with failure. Peter is a wonderful example of, of hope and failure. And, and uh, yeah, let me just share with you that first failure I had in my first church. Years later, I had the opportunity in another church, not New Hope Kailua. i got to tell you, New Hope Kailua has been, seriously, no, pure joy. <laughs> pure joy for uh, over 15 years. Why? One of the reasons was I discovered as a pastor, when you plant a church, you don't have to change things. <laughs> you just get to start things as God leads you, okay? The, the previous churches, I came in and the Lord was saying, change some things. That's not as easy. That's a different deal. So a second church where there were some things that needed to be changed. And uh, many traditional churches, there's lots that needs to be changed. Um, in this particular church, uh, one of the things that I wanted to see changed was uh, they were dancing was taboo. Not dancing in the nightclub. Dancing in church was taboo. And again, it was guilt by association. Dancing, that's what the world does. Dancing, nightclubs, immorality. But I said, well, Psalm says, dance to the Lord. And I'd been in Hawaii, and I'd realized dance is a beautiful expression of, I mean, the kids were dancing to the Lord this morning. Was that good or what? And when our halal dances, it's an awesome thing. 
So that was just one of the changes. But here's what I'd learned. <laughs> when you try and bring it, when I brought about change, and I, I got it right the second time. I learned from my failure. I looked at the people that, that didn't like change in the church, that were against dancing. And one of their leaders, I made my best friend. I took initiative. I went after him. I hung out with him. He was a retired plumber. I hired him to work at my house. I went coffee with him. His name was Sam. I don't know if you're out there, Sam. He's probably with the Lord right now. But I made Sam my best friend, and I said, Sam, this is what I feel like the Lord's calling us to do, and this is why. And he knew my heart. And I communicated to him, and I valued him, even though he didn't like dancing in church. He went to his friends. He says, you know, it's not a great idea, but I think Pastor Rick's heart is good on this. And he became my spokesman to the people that were opposed. And you know what? We didn't have a big blow up in church. And we brought dancing into the church to the glory of God. But it was because I had learned from my failure to care for people who just weren't there yet. But they valued and they mattered. And not neglect them, but actually to look for them. And... Um, that was one of my experiences of growing out of my failure. Peter was that way. He failed in his ministry to others after that was walk in prayer. Walk in humility. And um, don't make the mistakes I did. And we can learn from that. There is wonderful hope. Whatever failure you've had in life, your failures are not inevitable. Your failures are not final. God has a new chapter in your life in his grace. And yes, your failures in the past, they can be a powerful impact on others in the future. You can influence others, as Peter did, with a richness, with a depth that comes even out of your own failures because God has an amazing gift to use, ability to use people who have failed in various ways, and we all have in different ways. So let's be encouraged. There's hope from failures. Peter, the failure of the Easter week is, um, is a great friend to us. We're going to conclude our service this morning by celebrating communion, and how fitting. If uh, I hope you received, I was told, uh, unfortunately, we, we ran out of the little communion emblems. My encouragement is if you don't have one, just enter into it in spirit. These are just emblems. Jesus is looking at our hearts. But we're going to celebrate communion, and, and I'll ask the worship team to come forward. They're going to lead us in... Um, uh, thank you, Agatha, for sharing yours. Uh, oh, you've got an extra. If anyone doesn't, uh, worship team will come and lead us in a song, and then we'll take these two emblems that speak of Christ's unfailing love. Think about that as you worship in, with this song. He has an unfailing love. You and I have a love that can fail and has failed in, in various ways. He has an unfailing love, and it's demonstrated in the cross. So let's sing together, and then I'll come, forward, come back and uh, lead us in a prayer, and we'll close our service with communion.